Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Dr. Carr Bettis, executive chairman of AudioY, publicly traded company. The symbol is AEYE on NASDAQ. AudioY is a digital accessibility platform delivering ADA and WCAG compliance at scale. By combining technology and subject matter expertise, AudioY is helping companies and content creators solve every aspect of web accessibility, from finding and resolving issues to navigating legal compliance to ongoing monitoring and upkeep. AudioY delivers automated remediations and continuous monitoring for accessibility issues without making fundamental changes to website architecture, source code, or browser-based tools. AudioWise thesis is a relatively simple and painfully obvious problem on so many levels that needs a solution. We talk about this and AudioWise technology platform to make the digital landscape fully accessible for all participants, capital allocation, decision-making process, and what investors get most confused about with the company. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Carr Bettis, Executive Chairman of AudioWise. Welcome, everyone, to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Dr. Carr Bettis. He's the executive chairman of AudioWire. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is A-E-Y-E on NASDAQ. Dr. Bettis, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Robert, thanks so much for having me. It's fantastic to be here. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about uh, what's going on in AudioWire. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Look, I, I did an interview with, uh, I think it was former management uh, about five years ago now. Uh, I, I think this is back when AEYE was still on uh, OTC. So OTC, it's, yeah. yeah, so it's nice to see the uh, the progression, the growth and everything. So it's good to get an update and learn a little bit more about what's been going on since then. Um, but first, before we get into all that and 
overview history, all, all that good stuff. You know, what, what would you say is that one line that best describes AudioI? It's captured by our mission statement to eradicate all barriers to digital accessibility. Very good. And when I say that, it's very important because people don't realize many times that their website, the internet is completely broken. for The vast majority of individuals with disabilities who are trying to access digital content is a huge systemic problem, not been addressed at scale. And uh, we believe that AudioI is you know, in the best position to really do this, beat this mission, which is to eradicate those barriers to digital access. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we were talking offline a little bit and you'd been involved with the company for a long time. You know, you are now the executive chairman. So tell us, take us back uh, through the history books, you know, tell us, you know, when the company was originally started, some of the, the original problem. I'm sure it's quite obvious to folks that just heard that that opening line as to what the original problem was, but love to hear what it what, what originally was and how and maybe so how the solutions have changed or evolved over the years. You know, it's you know, like most businesses, right? There's an evolution and there's learnings along the way. And the business was really research and development initially around the concept of how to solve for a broken internet by a founder who had a degenerative eye disease, recognizing there's a problem. There were no large scale solutions. There needed to be some work done to figure out how to deliver a solution that could really solve the problem, trying to use technology first, which had not been done. So, um, so that rolls back many, many, many years. And frankly, there are some false starts, you know, the idea of trying to build a web-based, you know, screen reader for individuals with low vision or vision impairments was not a particularly strong concept, but it led to some terrific discoveries that have morphed into, through that R&D process, into what is deliverable today that has, you know, been category creating for for accessibility with using technology. So, um, again, an interesting journey, but one that's led to something pretty, pretty, pretty important and pretty fun. Absolutely. And were you part of that original founding team or were you brought in? And if so, you know, what, what, was, what was the opportunity that you saw ahead here and why you wanted to, to join on? Yeah, so I was involved and in, originally exposed to the idea very early after its inception and uh, was an angel investor, was there during some of the early learnings. And in 2015, did a significant restructure. The company had come public, become public. And uh, the current CEO, David Morardi, and I did a significant restructuring to the business we really saw the opportunity, the market opportunity to take, to make accessibility really, really uh, scalable from all the learnings that had occurred in the business. And that really, you know, that was back in 2015 and in, in spring of 2015, when we both became very actively involved and I became very actively involved in helping restructure at that point. So let's dive into the solutions themselves as they exist today with the company's currently marketing, your products, services, and whatnot. So love to hear the, the full slate is and, and what the company is currently putting out there. So we, you know, we are very automation centric, and that's really the core of what we do. However, we also we are huge proponents of the fact that we need a hybrid solution to address the market. So it's automation-led, but human in the loop testing. We have tre- tremendous uh, team of testers and others who help guide the process to ensure accessibility outcomes, depending on the client's needs. If you think about the accessibility space and you go from beginning to end, if you want to do sustainability testing, you want to identify problems with accessibility within your site, you want to have reports that identify those problems, you want to have automated solutions to fix those problems, you want to have consulting services to help guide and explain what's needed for complete accessibility. The full range of services are available uh, from us uh, today. Um, so we, we really don't have a missing piece, we don't think, in our product offering at all. Uh, and, uh, but we are very, very focused on, again, bringing 
accessibility, solving the accessibility issues at scale and not in a one-off, uh, one-off, you know, one, one unit at a, one unit at a time, one business at a time. Got it. Well, can you explain what that means real quick? Yeah. So, you know, the, let's talk about the evolution of the industry. The industry was really a consulting led business and was, has been that way for 20 years. So the notion of solving digital accessibility has been around for 20, 30 years. I mean, really since the you know, ADA, 25th anniversary of the ADA, we, we started thinking about accessibility for physical houses and physical buildings and businesses and sidewalks. But there was also the digital component to this. And uh, t- traditionally, it would be solved by a consultant going in, identifying problems with the website, saying, here are problems with why individuals, with example, who are blind or low vision using a screen reader as a common technology for their use, would not be able to fully access the content. They wouldn't be able to use drop-down menus. They wouldn't be able to identify what a, what a visual image was, right? So those problems would be solved by, by consultants going and advising how to change the source code to fix that problem and going with a very heavy lift, if you will, from manual testing and manual remediation program and plan. That is not a scalable. That is not a scalable solution. They've been at this for twenty years, right? Three percent or less of websites today are even going to be accessible. And even when we look at prominent consultants, you know, providing fixes in that method, we did a survey. I think of fifty-five of those, you know, randomly selected sites that are served by consultants to do that sort of remediation path. Forty-one of them had critical problems or errors. So it's not a scalable solution. It's difficult to maintain. It's extremely expensive. I mean, our research would suggest. You know, it would probably be $8 trillion to fix the websites in the world, you know, 66 billion man hours to fix existing problems. I mean, these are just mind-numbing numbers, right, if you try to approach this from a manual process. So we're all about providing as much automation as possible. We've invested really heavily in R&D. Since David, our CEO, who's also the largest shareholder, joined in a more active role in 2019, you can see the impact of what he's had on the business in terms of automation and how much money we've spent on R&D to become really the leader in trying to push the technology forward to solve the problem at scale. Again, not completely solvable at scale but with uh, just automation. In most cases, there's still going to be some client handholding, some manual work that needs to be done to get all the way to the finish line for accessibility. But a, but a really significant portion of the issues we've identified and been able to, to provide fixes through our databases and through you know, really good automation tools and the investment in the R&D payoff shows up by being able to do this at much greater scale and attack the real problem. Got it. And who, and, and how are you reaching your potential clients? Uh, you know, or uh, who's, who's the target customer right now? You know, how, how are you getting to some of those top 10 Alexa, you know, uh, websites to make sure that they have your tools uh, embedded in their websites? You know, th- there's awareness is growing about the need for accessibility. But frankly, if you, if you pull you know, executives and stakeholders today, many people think that the issue of accessibility is just solved by tools in the hands of a consumer, like a screen reader or Apple voiceover on the phone. And it's simply not true. So part of the issue is there's an education process and awareness that's been growing because of a growing number of litigation lawsuits under the American Disabilities Act, Department of Justice now paying more attention again to the issue. So there's increased awareness about the issue. But in, in fairness, many people, like, you know, if you hadn't heard about the issue before, may not even know about the problem, but it's a really material and significant problem, right? 15% of the population having disabilities and unable to get full access. It's a really big problem. So, so um, you know, we, 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 we can approach the customers in a number of different ways. One, we've found very 
tremendous success by our own marketplace. You can, if you find us and we market to you, you can go to our marketplace and actually get a solution and get started with our program right from our website. We also have an enterprise sales group that targets you know, larger enterprises with complex type solutions where we serve very large companies. We have a number of those as clients. And we really believe that to scale, we've been talking about scale, we've got to reach the SMBs. And you know, many SMBs uh, have, their, you know, have their websites hosted on various sorts of platforms. Some of those are industry specific. For example, you know, a client that's well known of ours is you know, the dealer.com infrastructure where auto dealers uh, use a common platform because the issues that one dealer has is similar to another. These, these sort of you know, content management systems are common ways for small businesses to cost effectively deploy their websites. So we have partnerships with those who are you know, content management system providers as well to help reach as many SMB clients as possible and do it cost effectively and efficiently for them. You know, I, I was going through some of your news release tonight and I rec- and I noticed that the company announced, I think it was earlier this year, about the acquires, it looks like the, the Bureau of Internet Accessibility. And this this sparked my interest because it seems one of the main sales points, you know, the obvious need is that, okay, you want to unlock and be able to reach, you know, the full population of, of people, right? Um, yes. And to make it, make the website accessible and whatnot, you know, but there, I'm sure some, and, and cause obviously that's what we all want, but at the same time, there almost sometimes probably needs to be a need for them to say, all right, well, you know, I'm not being dinged for this, you know, but, it, was that some of the reasons by, behind doing the, the the Bureau of Internet Accessibility, like to to create some kind of, I guess, channel checks to make sure that you know folks that don't have access to critical websites and places that they need can go somewhere to get those websites. Say, hey, you need to start doing this, and then you can kind of do a simple SEO campaign so that audio then shows up for those businesses to understand where they can go to get that solution. Is was that some of the reasoning there? Yeah, so look, we, we, run, we run a number of campaigns directly targeting businesses and their awareness and how to find our services. But, you know, BOIA was a really good acquisition and important for us. They've been in the business for 19 years or so, really had a number of, had, a, you know, had served thousands of clients in a more traditional model. They had deep expertise to complement our expertise. They had clients that could use and benefit our automated tools that we could deliver really cost-effective and scaled solutions for their clients as well, existing clients. So, but we also, again, bolstered our complete end-to-end solution where if you want to have more, if you want to have more manual intervention in your process and train internal resources, if you want to take that path as an enterprise, you know, we had bolstered our team, expanded our team by that acquisition as well. So again, we're, you know, we truly are offering the complete spectrum of services and solutions for our customers, but they're a terrific acquisition and uh, we're very pleased to, to have their team uh, part of LDY. Got it. And, and I mean, was that was that something that was always on the radar for as a potential acquisition to bring in? Because it sounds like you know the original plan. It's like, all right, we're just we need to just market, 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 push this out to potential customers. But then this was kind of like an adjunct acquisition in, in a sense. You know, it's interesting the way you describe the market, market, market. We've seen in the industry a lot of people going out with market, market, market. And what we've tried to do is say very carefully. We're going to invest heavily in the research and development. We're going to invest heavily in the technology. Since David came on board, you know, advising the board as a strategic advisor and still the largest shareholder back in 19 and now the interim CEO and finally the CEO, he's been very, very focused on getting the technology right and investing heavily there while we are marketing and educating the marketplace at the same time. 
So I think our commitment is almost, you know, as heavy in terms of making sure we really are focused on getting the best automation solutions available, period, for that scalability while we're, you know, talking to the marketplace about their need for it. So an acquisition like BOI made a lot of sense to us for having the complete offering, you know, solutions. Because again, we can only attack you know, most of the issues with, with the automation. There are still residual issues that need experience and some consultation and some manual audits, right? That many customers will ask for and demand in order to be fully accessible. They bolstered that team as well as part of that acquisition. So more, more client exposure, uh, increased depth on the team and, you know, to supplement our existing team and, uh, you know, a terrific opportunity for, for us to continue to expand the revenue base within the clients. Absolutely. So, I mean, what I, I appreciate what you're saying too. And, and I, I guess my follow-up to that then is, you know, on, once you do have some of your customers in uh, under the roof um, yes. or, or to potential or marketing to potential customers, I mean, do, have you, do you guys do a lot of pilot programs just to see how it works and then they go from there or how, how's that sale process usually work? So look, we have, you know, the very starting, at the very starting point uh, in anybody accessing their accessibility needs, you need to have an understanding of what's wrong. And our, you know, one of the places we made a lot of investment, we have the most complete set of testing we feel comfortable saying of anybody. We have over 400 tests of what are the web content accessibility guidelines, which is the standard that is used to define whether or not a website is in fact compliant or accessible. So this is of guidelines. We have, a, we have more tests that we believe are better, more comprehensive than anybody in the marketplace. So the starting point is saying, can we help assess what's wrong here in an automated way and do that cost effectively, which we do right off the bat. That then drives the sales process for what needs to be done. Automation can fix you know, 70% or 80% in your case or 65% or 90% in your case as a potential customer. Where do you want your accessibility path to go? We can do this automation right now today for you. And then we can add layer on additional services to get you where you really want to go as an individual customer. So, um, so that sales process is pretty exciting because we really, again, we come out of the gate with a really, really powerful tool that some competitors had tried to charge a lot of money for, but we believe a much less you know, robust and inferior set of tools to do that evaluation than ours. So we can come out of the gate offering a client a real perspective on, here's a report on the issues that you have, here's how we can immediately fix these, and here's additional work that you would need to do in order to go through a complete sustainability testing plan and get all the way to the finish line for full accessibility they may desire. Got it. You know, I... What, what does this competitive landscape look like? You know, who, who, are, who is it? Or is it kind of siloed depending on the, the disability that the, that firm is looking to help create solutions for? Love to hear that. So the, the, the space was originally in the competitive landscape served by the consultants who after 20 years had not even made a dent in what was needed to be accomplished in web accessibility. So we were very disruptive in the industry saying we need automation. We need to invest in technology to help solve the problem and make this scalable and lower the cost, speed up the adoption, and really make impactful improvements. So we were innovators there. What happened next was I would say a lot of market-focused, marketing-focused folks who said, oh, wait, let's just go fix the problem by simple tools and you know, market and say we can solve your problems. So at the other end of the spectrum, there, there have been a lot of solutions that have come into the marketplace that are what I would consider to be market, you know, marketing-led, not technology-led that offer some technology solutions that could be simple solutions that are simply far off the mark, but they could be more robust solutions, but still not really getting anywhere near the depth of the solution that we would offer. They've not made the investment in the technology. Again, we've made real investment in the tech here with a lot of subject matter knowledge that spans you know, 15 years. So competitive landscape has been, there's been a rush to people 
as litigations increase to offer some form of a solution, to offer some form of automation, buying our logic that automation is necessary. But we sit in this really important space where we believe the market has to come to, and that is in the middle here with hybrid solutions. We're heavily automated with a lot of domain and industry expertise to help you all the way through your journey to ensure that you get to the outcome that your customers, that, are, that our customers' customers want, which is an accessible website that enables them to have equal access. So I have to ask, I mean, why haven't, why hasn't, you know, like a Google or, or GoDaddy or WordPress, you know, something that a lot of developers, you know, they, those are the infrastructures they build on, or, you know, once you buy the websites, just at any point during that, I'm just trying to understand the moat, you know, one, why, is there a solution that some of these folks that web developers interact with, you know, when they're, when they're building out these, like, love to hear your answer there. Look, there are tools and libraries available today that can help and assist developers go through the process of making their sites more accessible. Absolutely. Um, again, what's the answer at scale, right? Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna hire all the developers, bring them on staff, put them inside, make them learn this accessibility needs, and you know, spend sixty you know million man hours doing this across a range of businesses, right? At expensive resources and then maintaining them, these are not sustainable in our opinion. So. But it's also not just like plug a little widget in and make it all work. Those little widgets that you might fly at an answer don't really solve the problem either and lead to a poor customer experience and even litigation exposure for not being really accessible. So the fact that I think a hybrid answer is really needed is what creates some of you will the moat. The real only answer is high levels of automation, which will continue to improve over time with deep subject matter knowledge like we have on the matter, will continue to improve. But will it get you to 100% automation for every website ever built? I don't believe so. Is there enough people out there building websites who are adequately trained in the next 20 years to build every website fully compliant and maintain them in their form of compliance forever? I don't believe so. So Audio has a very, very special opportunity to both identify the problems for people, fix the problems at scale quickly and efficiently and cost effectively, and others coming into that space. There's domain expertise. There's, you know experience and knowledge that everybody has to bring to the table in order, I think, to provide the right type of solution for our customer. Got it. So, you know, I want to talk about a few macro events and how they, they've affected the company. Um, sure. You know, first, you know, March 2020, COVID hit, you know, what, <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems like we're just never ending things happening, right? Um, but but let's, let's start there. I mean, how did impact, how did COVID impact the company um, since then, and yeah, let's go from there. Look, it affected us in a couple of ways. First thing was, I think it, it actually helped raise awareness of the need for access to digital content because people were staying at home, having to work, having to access content. They weren't able to go to the many people not going to the grocery store they may have gone before. They may be ordering things online for the first time. I think it did raise general awareness and gave us an opportunity as a business to sort of showcase the problem and the need to address the issue. So I think there was some rise an increase in awareness because of that, which is a positive thing for any individual with a disability, right? To say, look, there's now a focus on this and we need to find a solution. That's positive. The other thing, it affected the business in very practical ways, right? We became a virtual office business and we did that, I think, pretty successfully. We've hired talent all over the country during the last two years that we've added to our team uh, where we have a lot of people who work remotely and continue to work remotely. Uh, We have people back in offices in various places as well but it's created a different work environment like many other people have gone through those adjustments. And I think the outcome has been very, very good overall for the business, right? We've, we've added talent that we wouldn't have probably accessed before. 
because of more flexible work uh, work environments that we have as a result of COVID. Very good. And and now here we are. You know, um, uh, it's no secret that microcap, well, all microcaps have more or less uh, gotten kind of kind of killed right now. But by the way, we're recording this on a uh, June twentieth, twenty twenty two. For those who are listening to this three yes. years out, you know, of course. But uh, <laughs> but, yes. but, but microcaps have you know it's been a, it's been a rough go, <laughs> especially for kind of tech SaaS names, growth names, and. I mean, what's what's kind of been the strategy? I know I saw you guys announce the three million dollars stock repurchase. Like what? Uh, <laughs> right now. So what? As a growth company, I mean, what? So what? What's been the thought process? Love, love to hear it. You know, um, the reality is we've been heads down focusing on the business and the business opportunity on the fundamental side. Right. We do know that the markets have been, you know, heavily repriced. Uh, across the board for SaaS businesses that are not, in particular SaaS businesses that are not cash flow positive. We've still grown. I think we're 25 straight quarters since you know David and I became involved back in 2015 of successive revenue growth quarters. So we're continuing to show growth. We have expanded the margins. You know, David's initiative around technology has really pushed the margins up. We're in the mid-70s in a SaaS-based company. So one of the interesting things is how much do you invest for growth in any environment? How much of your cash do you use for growth in any environment versus how much of your cash do you put into R&D and versus how much of your cash do you retain, right? And, you know, what's the best use of that cash for shareholders? And, you know, the board made the decision that it would make sense for us to go to the marketplace at these prices and to, uh, and to take, some of the, you know, take, take some of the shares back uh, using shareholder capital. And uh, we feel like that was a really good decision. Uh, we know we have, we've shown sustained growth. We're forecasting growth again, going into the next quarter. We expect growth. Uh, we've got, you know, we're maintaining really robust margins. Uh, this is an attractive business profile that as we think, you know, prices continue to get reset over time, uh, shareholders will be very, very pleased with our decision to, to do, to do some buyback here. Gotcha. I was going to say, what, 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 what's been some of the, the q and I mean, I know you've done a few events in the last little bit. You know, what, what, what's some of the, the response from the investor base that's like, okay, you have that plan in place to do the, re, the share repurchase program, along with making sure that you're spending, continuing to spend on R&D to build out the technology base and, you know, spend, spend, spend during this environment. What's, what's some of the reaction? But I, I think investors need to, you know, as always, need to, the same balance between how much are you going to put the pedal down on growth? When you know there's this mix between put the pedal down on growth and when do you when are you going to generate cash? Right? There's always this tension amongst investor bases depending on who you talk to, the pure growth or the pure value or you know, sure. you sit in the spectrum. And we think we have the right balance. And we're saying that you know we've seen other points in the cycle of this business where we decided we could have we believe we could have gone to a path of, you know pretty aggressive path to be cash flow positive. We've chosen not to. Uh, because we've seen really special growth opportunities that we wanted to push the pedal down or we wanted to make significant investment in other areas. We've done some, we've seen we've done some acquisitions now with shareholder capital. We raised that capital, we think at very attractive prices for shareholders in the mid-17s and again in the mid-30s. That's really, really attractive, right? When we're raising capital in those sort of parameters. And now we're you know, sitting on cash when the value is where it is and we're still growing and deploying capital. So investors, I think, are looking at how are we going to deploy that capital? How are we going to use that? Um, you know, and to get to the point where there's a certain set of investors and saying, can you get cash flow positive ever? Well, the answer is almost certainly, right? We're in control of a lot of those levers. It's how we feel like we should use them. And, you know, the CEO had guided to say, we should be approaching in the fourth quarter, becoming cash flow positive, with things going the way we're designing them today for operating cash flow. Got it. So from what you can tell me, 
who's the dream acquirer of, of audio eye? Like who, who do you see as the one that's like, all right, audio eye fits so well into, into what they're doing here to give some folks some context. If they're, they're at all confused about what, what how the business fits into this ecosphere. You know, I've been, I've been doing this, not just audio, but I've been doing this a long time. And who your acquirer is can, can vary, but there's certainly a whole industry of folks that are focused on in a very, very large industry today, you know, $41 billion industry growing to over $100 billion probably over the next few years that are focused on compliance and risk-related issues. We would we clearly fit in that spectrum. So I'm not going to name names, but within that spectrum, there's certainly terrific, you know, opportunities there. But beyond that, the company doesn't need to be acquired to create the value for the shareholders. We believe that, as you can see by the decision committee to repurchase shares, we believe the value that's unlocked here is substantial, and we're going to continue to focus on the fundamental development of the business and the growth of the business. We, we can we continue to expect to see growth. We continue to expect to maintain margins. We believe we have enough cash to operate successfully. So we like the profile of just putting our heads down and worrying about creating shareholder value, whichever direction that comes from, right? Absolutely. I, I had to ask, you know, right? That's, no, it's, so, a great, it's a great question. You know, like sometimes sometimes when you're trying to get a better understanding of like, what, you know, the dream, you know, like obviously it's like, oh, we're going to build it to, you know, this many, all that. But at the same time, it's like, oh, well, there you have to also think in the back of your head about, well, other potential exit strategies, you know, because it might give give folks even more context. But it's, it, and because that goes along the lines of what I was kind of getting to with, with my next question is, you know, what do investors get most confused about audio eye when, when you're in some of these one-on-ones or presenting or anything like that? Look, I think the awareness around how big the market opportunity is and where it goes from here is one of the things that investors really want to understand. Because the market has been somewhat, in spite of the need that's there, it's been somewhat slow to unfold in the way that we think it can. We think there's, you know, tailwinds continue to be in the right direction and the issue is not going away. So the question is how fast can we grow how huge will the market become? You know, is it going to be $600 million revenue market in the next few years? Could be, you know, like how big can it be? How, how fast is it going to grow? So I think there's some uncertainty around the, the speed of growth, but here's what we feel very, very good about. We see growth. We see, the, we see growing appetite. We see growing awareness. We know we, we're in a position with what we believe to be by far the best solution with the best team. And we've made this substantial investment in the technology to be able to take advantage of the growth opportunities as it unfolds. So investors are, I think, fairly saying, you know, how fast can it grow and how big can it be? And, uh, and those are always unknowns, right, in any marketplace. But what we feel good about is the market opportunity is not going away. It is going to grow. It has the potential to grow very fast. And we're in a terrific spot. So then that, that also leads into my, my other uh, question that I, I do ask everybody on here as well is, you know, in your opinion, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks? I'm assuming it's probably having to do with that, you know, what investors ask you is when, when they are going to see some of that, that you know, uh, faster growth, growth or more market recognition, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, from our perspective, we're clipping along with high margins of 25 or 30% growth in this environment. That's not the worst thing you're going to present to an investor either, right? When you have a very high retention rate, high margins, and you're growing at those sort of rates, that's an attractive profile. The question is, how much bigger can it be? And I don't think anybody really knows how fast, you know, it can change. So, you know, one of the, so again, it's not going away. We're not worried about that. I think execution risk is always there. And again, we bolster that by what we believe is a really, really strong team. You know, David has built an exceptional team. If you check out the pedigrees of the team, it's really impressive. 
try to be very careful about that to minimize execution risk. So how fast the market grows is still the issue. I don't think it's about whether it grows. It's how fast the market grows. What are some of the value catalysts to, to it, it going faster? Look, you know, we need to be continue to be successful with partners uh, and acquiring partners and acquiring agencies who work with SMBs. And those relationships become increasingly important for us to be able to reach our objective, right? Remember, we want to eradicate the barriers to digital accessibility. We're not going to do that one enterprise client at a time or one government agency at a time. We're going to have to do that at scale. That comes down to successful programs with agencies, content management systems, and other partners who you know are working with us and we work hand in hand with. We have an expanding list of those. We expect to continue to work with them. And then you know it's on them as well to help be successful at educating their end-use small business clients, small and medium-sized business clients about the need for and the advantages of having accessible solutions for their customers. So then where do you see the company in three to five years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that will get you there? Look, we we want to we want to be we want to dominate the space without any question at all. If you knew our CEO at all, met him at any point, our current CEO, who is also the largest shareholder, right? We don't have this sort of typical agency problems. He is determined and I think correctly uh, focused on the fact that we have the opportunity to really dominate here. So in three to five years, we would expect to be the most important solution, the best solution in a marketplace that's hopefully much much more you know much further along uh, with many 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 more. You know, thousands or millions of companies have adopted real, real approach to accessibility that we can help them answer. Very good. Have I missed anything having to do with with the business that you get? You know, a frequently asked question that maybe you want to address here. I mean, I feel like we've covered quite a bit, but I mean, is, is there anything that we that we've missed? No, you know, actually, uh, Robert, I think you've uh, you've really nailed the questions that I'm typically used to hearing, right? And they're important questions, and I think important questions for answers and for investors to understand the answers too. So uh, I, I appreciate the time and having the opportunity to talk about the business. Well, one more question for you before I let you go. Sure. All right. I, have to sure. throw one, I have to throw one more at you. You know, I mean, uh, I, well, actually, it's two more questions. I apologize. Um, but how much, if at all, have have your shareholders influenced any of your decision making process th- through, throughout this? <laughs> you know, we're unusual in the sense that. You know, uh, David, our CEO, is the largest shareholder. I'm typically the second largest shareholder of record. Um, so we have a pretty high concentration of uh, you know management ownership in the company. So as shareholders, we are also shareholders. And being meaningful shareholders, we again we don't have that sort of typical agency problem that you see in you know, venture-backed businesses or any public companies. So outside shareholders who are outside of the management group. Uh, are relying very heavily on our knowledge of the industry. We don't have a bunch of outside shows of deep knowledge of the industry or the space, I don't think at this point. They're learning along as they become investors and hear what we have to say about that. But the primary driver is the largest shareholders are also on the management team. So we are we believe we're very focused on providing the value, not only you know for all the shareholders as we execute and deliver enterprise management, in particular with David being the CEO. All right, so now to close this out, my last question here, you know, um, as, as executive chairman and, and being so involved in, in, with the company, both on the day-to-day and corporate stuff, you know, all the kind of things we're talking about here, you know, that, that is sometimes not an easy job, but do you, you know, what, what's your experience? Do you enjoy it? Is it sometimes a little, uh, too difficult? I mean, I'd love, love to hear that. 
Look, it's not it's not very often that you have an opportunity to work in a business or have any impact on a business that's going to make a difference to so many people in the world who have a real need. And we care about it every day when we wake up. There are individuals with disabilities who just don't have access. Millions of them do not have access to digital content. That in and of itself is motivating not just to me, but to everybody on this team. How do we find a solution to meet that need? Um, and it's a really important driver. You don't get the opportunity to have the opportunity to have something that's commercially successful, sustainable, um, you know, that's doing so much good in the world. And so it's, it's probably one of the easiest businesses to be involved with in that sense, because, you know, you can really make an impact and has a really terrific impact on an inclusive world for individuals with disabilities. And we care tremendously about that as a group. So uh, it makes it, it makes it easy to get up in the morning, I think, for the team. Very good. Well, Dr. Bettis, where can our audience go and find more information on AudioEye? AudioEye.com. And I would suggest that people who really want to learn about the space or the industry, we've, we've published a white paper that really talks about the need for digital accessibility at scale. It's also available on our website. Uh, it's really you know, important reading to understand both our strategy and our approach and why we believe we're going to be the right answer as this market continues to unfold. Very good. Well, Dr. Bettis, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Good talk to you. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it very much. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.